Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. My name is Amat Gomis, and I'm your host. Today, we have Daniel Horton, founder and CEO of Verdani Partners. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to you today and be part of your podcast. Well, thank you so much. And to start off, can you give a bit of background on yourself and what led you to found Verdani Partners? Yes, sure. I was uh, born and raised in Brazil, so I'm a a Latina immigrant. And there, like I earned my bachelor's in architecture and urban planning. Um, I kind of moved to the U.S. to do an internship at an architecture firm and worked for about like seven years in architecture before switching to sustainability. I got a master's in sustainable development and then switched to work for like a full service real estate firm. Then spent about 10 years working at a, at a real estate as their kind of internal head of sustainability. But I think maybe also growing up in Brazil, I think I've always been passionate about the environment. And during my master's program, you know, working, I worked with like global carbon simulations and really developed a huge sense of urgency around climate change and kind of like our planetary limitations, really like we weren't moving fast enough. And so like, I really felt the need, like the urgent need to achieve like large market transformation. I remember even one of the reasons I wanted to pivot from architecture, like working one building at a time. And even, you know, when I, so I wanted to go work for a real estate firm where I work with decision makers and be able to make progress faster. So after spending about 10 years, you know, working for a real estate firm and going from like you know, greening one building at a time to moving toward like a portfolio scale, then one portfolio at a time where it helped that portfolio, like, you know, the entire portfolio was lead certified and we achieved number one sector leader ranking on GRESP. Uh, we started reporting back in 2011. So like just a year after GRESP was, was founded and we were sector leader in office. So it was a great experience. And I learned like from being inside Working inside an organization, what was really needed to run an ESG program, run a sustainability program, and, and green a portfolio, and all the skill sets that I needed. Because I think from leadership, a lot of companies are like, oh, yeah, no, I hired someone to do this and go do that. And I don't think they understand the effort that it takes, all these skill sets that are needed to kind of run a successful program. So there were a lot of like a lot of culminating factors that led me to start the company that kind of at the time we were going through that kind of it was like a few years after the you know when the the market crashed the company was going through the company that i worked for was going through a merger and acquisition personally for me i was also having starting a family and needed more flexibility i think the corporate world it's not great for women in terms of like leaving the flexibility where you don't have to choose between your family and your career so, and for me too, like, I felt like, you know, that I could do so much more and I could support a lot of other portfolios. So for one, like, you know, I wasn't able to work remotely and I kind of needed that at that point because we wanted to move closer to where we had family to get support. So there was a lot of things, but then with the merge and acquisition, I remember like interviewing for a lot of other real estate companies and I had a lot of like possible companies I could work for and then decided, no, instead of just doing one portfolio in-house, I could support multiple portfolios as a consultant. A lot of the portfolio that we were working for got sold to different organizations. Like, so we had pieces of the buildings that I was working on being owned by different companies now. 
So like I actually, most of the buildings that were sold, we're still supporting them today, but now in a consulting role. So that kind of allowed me to also like have a broader reach in terms of like really achieving market transformation. So we started the company, not only my first employer, my, the first company hired me back as a consultant. So I picked up all those pieces to start and wanted to really, I created a business model to really bring all these skill sets that you need understanding from the owner perspective and bring all the skills that you need to bring to the table to run a successful program from like the corporate ESG piece, the data management piece, communications, certifications. And instead of like companies hiring some one person internally to do all of that, we bring like just enough, like depending on the portfolio needs, the right type of skills, the right amount. But like even within one person, we can bring a lot of those skills to the table. So, um, you know, I feel like um, the business model worked really well. Our clients were getting a lot of great results. And yeah, it's the company became very successful. Now we're now like 10 years later, we're, we have almost 70 employees and we're, you know, growing internationally and doing a lot of, you know, our clients are doing really well. Many of them like our, you know, top ranking on Gresp and there's a huge demand for our services. So I'm very proud of you know, what we've accomplished. And you talk about market transformation and how that along with the ability to have a better quality of work-life balance as being one of the kind of drivers that drove you to start Verdani Partners. And you talk about a lot of the successes that you've had and how you've been able to grow the business from the early years to now. One thing I've, I've noticed when we think about ESG consultants is that Oftentimes, there is a disconnect between a lot of the great work that companies like yourself, like uh, Verdani Partners, recommends and implements on behalf of a company versus what the company in themselves enact. So oftentimes, you see there, there sometimes is that disconnect. And I was wondering if you could tell me about any specific ESG initiatives that you all have implemented on behalf of clients that you think really show that market transformation? And you talked about how the GRES scoring has increased or has been a leader for so many of the buildings that you manage that you're a consultant for. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more in depth about that. Sure. So like just to reframe, you want to talk about like also how the landscape changed, right? From when I first started to how it is now and also like how we are implementing some of the things that we are recommending to our clients internally as well. Correct. Yeah. So I think that the things are different now. I think in the beginning, a lot of these ESG programs were focusing on like lead and green building certifications. Yeah. Starting a little bit on grass reporting and you have to spend a lot of time talking about the business case, right? Versus about operational savings and right? If you're going to spend in energy efficiency, obviously that's, that's a direct return on investment. And so like that, a lot of it, like I think before companies are focusing on like energy, water, waste, and these things have changed so much now, especially I think the pandemic was, I think not only like climate risk, but the pandemics just caused a major shift into kind of what we're seeing in the industry as well. I'd say in terms of like right now, I think there's a lot of push from the climate, you know, mitigation adaptation side, a more broad focus on ESG 
or social needs and the combination also of regulatory requirements and investor pressure has moved the conversation from a nice to have to an essential need. So in terms of like even scaling the company and the kinds of demands for like ESG consulting businesses, before we had to spend a lot of time making the business case and showing that return on investment and how these programs make sense to now like investors, it's just stable stakes, right? So investors are demanding it. Like if you don't have an ESG program, you're not even on the table. You're not, you're not going to get an investment. And the conversation, like in terms of like climate risks and all the regulatory requirements, like a lot of investor, a lot of companies are being mandated. They have to report to grass. Like, so it, it went from like a nice to have to like, and now like, look, it's not an option. The train has left, right? You need to catch up in, this is a requirement. If you're not going to become outdated and obsolete, if you want to be competitive, so it really shifted in terms of like how the demands and how we sold, you know, the business. I think even with the pandemic, I mean, personally, I had concerns in terms of how, how it's going to impact our business. Now, there was a lot of uncertainty in the market, but the social, you know, pressures and understanding like how even like mental health and like social needs, health can really affect the economy. And there was a lot more emphasis on that, I think. Our portfolios that had the programs where we invest, we already had the infrastructure to understand some of those risks or already had programs to deal with indoor quality, right? To protect building occupants from things like what happened in the pandemic. Those portfolios are a lot better prepared and our business has actually doubled in size you know, in the past two years. So the pandemic just, just created the bigger, the pressure for it. And, you know, from a climate change perspective as well, like all these lab every 18 days in the U.S. we're having billion dollar climate disasters. It's creating a huge focus, more pressure, re regulatory. And then I would say in terms of our own practice, I do think it's really important that we walk the walk, right, for things that we are telling our clients to implement in their own businesses. We ourselves, I think even when we look at our own mission, vision, targets and values, are currently doing an exercise of adjusting our kind of visioning language to align with key ESG factors like, you know, on the environmental side, decarbonization, net zero resiliency, biodiversity, health and well-being, education, DEI, on the governance side, collaboration, industry leadership, ESG disclosure and transparency. So, you know, we're in the process of finalizing our, our B Corp application. We made a science-based target commitment that was approved so we are also making our own like net zero and decarbonization commitments and then we do a lot of i would say for example from the di side we hired a, a di advisor and she's doing assessments and getting feedback from the team listening sections and giving the foundation we need to also develop and implement our own program so like anything that we can, for example, implement with our team first and test it out before we try to roll it out with our clients, that gives us really good lessons learned and insight about how it goes. I think with a bigger organization, it's easier to be able to walk the walk with some of these strategies that might not be applicable to our business. But I do think it's really important that we ourselves, right, walk the walk with some of these things. We do a lot of like giving back to the community with we're 1% for the planet, volunteering, a lot of education, which I think is a really important component, you know, on the on the social side, like we do tr internal trainings every week and we're doing in the 
third and fourth quarter of 2022, we're doing biweekly external trainings that are free to the public, right? Because we understand there's a huge need for more people to understand ESG. So we're trying to help demystify, right? And, and help people understand what it really means and, and educating the community about, I mean, about some of those key ESG factors that they, they need to understand. We're also getting ready to hopefully soon have our first annual ESG report as well so that we can implement our programs are also our new language that we're developing. It's going to be aligned with sustainable development goals. So we do think it's really important that we also walk the walk and implement some of these strategies uh, within our own organization as well. And thank you for that. So, you know, you being an ESG leader and you have great insight into what's happening in the marketplace when it comes to implementation and requirements and ESG actions that companies and your clients are taking, when you start to look forward in the U.S., what do you see in the next three to five years as the future for ESG? And also, how can companies prepare themselves for this new paradigm or this new reality? It's a complex question, but you know, I can share like some high-level insights. There's been a tremendous shift, I think, since the pandemic happened when like the social aspects of ESG and like took the spotlight. You know, I think since then, I think in 2023, we're seeing more accelerated global effort to mitigate and adapt to climate change. So like by the decarbonization, reducing carbon emissions, it's taking more a bigger priority now. I think when it comes to like our planetary limitations and what we have to achieve to limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees and achieve the Paris Agreement, there's a big push from that. Uh, to do that, like on a, on a global scale. Um, so a lot of countries are implementing policies and regulations to incentivize decarbonization, pushing economies away from fossil fuels and dependence and toward renewable energy. That has going to have a huge impact, right? We think about those transition risks in all industries, in you know, real estate. And so at the same time, investors are also increasingly concerned about physical risks and transition risks from climate impacts like not only like you know hurricanes heat waves floods the energy transition related risks are also leading toward more capital allocation toward companies prioritizing right they're showing that they have a plan they're prioritizing greenhouse gas mitigation resiliency energy innovation we see even like from task force or climate related financial disclosure guidelines are becoming more and more integrated in regulatory requirements throughout the world like that's going to be part of the new SEC requirement and a lot of other countries are adopting that as a foundation from for some of their regulatory requirements and it's not just climate risks you no know, energy independence through renewable energy can also help mitigate geopolitical and human risks like for example what's happening in the war in Ukraine you know it just shows how how Risky is to rely so heavily on fossil fuels and, you know, the importance for to continue to push for, you know, transitioning away from it. And we look at through this risk lens when we're trying to decarbonize. I think it's easy to understand, like we see it's a controversy or like backlash to ESG. I think there's always being you the flavor of the year where you find something to, I think we've always, we're going to continue to see, given high risk exposure to some companies should transition risk, especially companies that might be heavily invested on fossil fuels or politician using, being funded by, for some of these things for political gains are also 
behind some of the efforts to push back on energy transition, also in reducing our dependence from fossil fuels. I think this resistance is expected, but I think we've really turned the tide and it really won't stop the long-term trend toward decarbonization. I'd say across the board, you know, like it's really there's alignment right now from economic aspects, from key stakeholders, they expect companies to decarbonize. So a lot of the long-term success of companies hinges on their ability to keep pace with new regulations and overall market shift toward decarbonization. No matter the industry, even the ones that are more reliant on fossil fuels, the companies that lead, they will benefit most and companies that lag maybe have left behind, right? They might. And so investors are paying a close attention to that when they're trying to kind of mitigate their risks and where they're planning to divest from or invest on. You know, those are key risks that they need to to pay attention to. So to meet a lot of these challenges and take advantage of opportunities, it's really critical that companies start to understand their exposure to climate risks, setting those science-based decarbonization targets, implementing their near and long-term strategy to reduce emissions. And the cost to, when you say like, okay, well, how much is going to cost? And what's the cost of inaction? The cost of not transitioning away and adapting is going to be significant. So like for real estate, assets that are not on track to comply with decarbonization regulations and become resilient to climate impacts, they could become stranded. They say that every dollar investing in resiliency could save one to six dollars. We've seen that with our own clients where we invested in, you know, floodgates and things when there was a hurricane, you know, where there's billions of dollars, there's like in damages, they didn't get any make a single insurance claim because they were prepared. And so to prepare for the increased regulatory and ESG disclosure requirements, companies are going to need to focus on collecting and reporting accurate greenhouse gas emissions and other KPIs data using credible reporting frameworks. So we're seeing a huge trend also toward like, there's a lot of different reporting frameworks out there, like different rankings. So we're, we're going to see more consolidation around a few key global applicable frameworks that will create metrics and standards for each industry, like CCFD, like there's the IFRS right now is creating a a global standard. But we're going to continue to push for more data, more transparency in those risks. And do you think that in the U.S. that generally the trajectory is that we will follow and eventually catch up with the rest of the developed world when it comes to how we are managing risk when it comes to ESG type risk? Is that an accurate statement? Absolutely. And I mean, we're supporting clients on a global scale, you know, Europe, APAC regions, Latin America. The Europe's definitely leading when it comes to regulatory requirements for like SFGR, EU taxonomy. And that's already like having an impact. Like we have a lot of clients that have European investors where they say, hey, I can no longer invest in your organization. Like you were saying, there is a lot of regulation in Western Europe, and there is this consolidation that's happening when it comes to new and existing regulations and reporting frameworks. One thing I want to go back to that I think is so critical for businesses to understand is that this component of resilience, when you talked about how a company that you worked with that was hit by a natural disaster was able to keep their operations running and didn't have to go and get money from their insurance provider because 
they were set up for success and they were resilient. So I think that is a cost of that people don't really think about when they're thinking about the cost-benefit analysis of implementing actions. Because it's such a critical component, we see that natural disasters around the world are just becoming more intense and more frequent. So that's such a major thing, I think, that companies need to really think about from an enterprise risk management perspective, as well as a continuity of services. Right. Yeah. And when you think about like ESG programs before, like some of the key things you're focusing on is efficiency and reducing operating expenses. Now the leading factors is decarbonization and resiliency. So it's both climate adaptation and mitigation. So it's really important. Like we do climate risk assessments where we look at like over 50 risks, both regional level and asset level risks to really understand those risks. Like we had done those, you know, for that specific client back in 2015 and understood that they were high risk for flooding. So we recommended that. So they, they did install like floodgates. So then their underground areas also critical equipment was moved to high ground and they had like dewatering pumps on site, you know, this specific case that I'm mentioning, they were in Houston. So when Hurricane Harvey hit in 2017, where they had like, I think a hundred and something, $40 billion in damages, we didn't have any insurance claims because the buildings were prepared. So when you think about like, even when we're dealing with like water damages, for example, like even like, you know, if your windows are not properly sealed, Right. And then you have issues of like water risk damages and mold. I mean, those are significant, can have a huge impact in the organization. So, you know, the money that you invest into like protecting the assets from key climate risks that you understand is really money well spent. And what's happening in, you know, much more than they would spend with if they actually were not prepared. So yeah, I think that's why TCFD is gaining so much momentum, becoming regulatory requirements, like pension funds, like they're pushing for it because they need to understand the risks, right? Where companies that are investing on their behalf, are they taking steps to prepare, right? They want to understand though, like it, it's, it's hard to find the place on a global scale that's immune to climate disasters and kind of what's happening. So it's really critical that companies understand those risks and they take steps to be prepared. I think the the risk of inaction is much higher than the, you know, where you're going to spend to protect from those risks. I couldn't agree with you more. So one last question, if someone wants to engage Verdani Partners as a consultant or to work on projects or a building, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? You know, we have our website at overdani.com and we also have an email like info at Verdani. I would say, and there's many different ways to engage uh, with our team, like following us on social media. We're constantly posting information about like, you know, yes, she like more focused on the real estate sector. We have newsletters that we post. We're doing a lot of educational webinars as well that are, you know, free to the public saying the live versions we're doing white paper thought leadership papers and blogs and articles so there's many different ways i think even to like you know getting to know us better and just staying involved like building the relationships and so yeah that's one way to contact us yeah so like just to finalize that in terms of like some of the trends on the three five-year future for for yeshi you know, on top of all the decarbonization like kind of push for on you know, the climate efforts, on the social end, we also know that the pandemic really, you know, created a lot of concerns around health, mental well-being, DEI. Even though like climate change has retaken the spotlight, that's here to stay. And it's really important for companies to understand that 
And it's really increasingly clear that focusing on people is good for the bottom line. And younger generations are really looking to align their values with with those of their employers. They're looking for companies that have good, good mental health policies, diverse leadership, remote work and flexibility, that they have decarbonization commitments, funding towards social justice factors. All of that can lead to loyalty retention, resulting in increasing innovation and performance over the long run. So it's important that we really have to look holistically into the organizations from the, looking from an ESG perspective on both the environmental, social, and governance aspects of that are impacting the industry and the organizations. Thank you for that. And just to wrap up, if someone wants to engage Verdani Partners as a consultant, what's the best way that they can reach out? So an easy, the easiest way is going to our website, you know, verdani.com. And also they can send us an email, uh, info at verdani.com. But I would also highly recommend just engaging with us, even if they may not be ready or not to, to need a consultant, like following us on social media. We're constantly posting about sustainability-related topics, our newsletters. We're doing a lot of, I'd say, education. It's so important right now. Um, we're doing a lot of, like, we do training with our team weekly, but we're also doing educational webinars, like in 2022, like bi-weekly. Those are free to the public. So it's one way to get to know us and our team is like joining our live webinars that are free about about ESG. We're also writing top leadership articles. And because we are a purpose-driven organization, like we're really focusing on, have this huge sense of urgency around kind of global climate risks and what we have to should do to mitigate that. We also have a nonprofit organization called Verdani Institute for the Built Environment that we founded in 2016. And a big focus of that is collaboration and education. So we're working on 12 books on Yeshi uh, as part of that and publishing white papers. We recently published one on Yeshi reporting frameworks. So we'd love to collaborate with like global leaders and they're trying to crowdsource content on some of these topics and you know looking for guest speakers for like our educational webinars. So I think the engagement that I see is not just like hiring us as a consultant, but like working with us, collaborating with us, you know, participating, engaging with us through like our educational efforts, writing things together. We really are looking to forming a lot of strategic alliances on a global scale with all their like-minded companies that have the share our values, our mission. We really like thinking about our planetary limitations and our both our more and economic needs to to decarbonize we really need to work together right we have one planet so this i think industry collaboration engagement is so key and we really love to collaborate and form strategic partnerships and alliances and work with other organizations toward our our common goals i couldn't say it better myself 100 percent agree with you collaboration is the key mm-hmm. thank you so much for being a guest on the esg matters podcast and Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me.